Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Blog Talk Radio. The odds of becoming a signed artist and having three number one albums? One in 100 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards? One in 1.4 million. The odds of this performer having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 110. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Autism Speaks. It's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter.com slash Joy Keys, or you can become a fan on Facebook. Just check out Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And also now, I'm on Instagram. You tag me in a photo, you might win a prize. You guys know I give away lots of things. Today, I'll be giving away a book. Sometimes I give away movies, CDs, uh, concert tickets, all types of things. So I encourage you to follow on Twitter, check out Facebook, or tag me in a picture on Instagram. Well, today I'm speaking with someone across the pond, if they will say. They say it like that, across the pond. Um, <laughs> a, a wonderful artist. Her book is called Bitter Leaf. And it uh, takes place in a, like a fictional land. Uh, and it has a lot of wonderful characters and ins and outs and ups and downs for them. And everybody actually has to kind of take a bitter leaf in their life in the book. Um, and the author is uh, on the line right now. Her name is Choma Okereke. And uh, good morning. Morning. Hi. Afternoon. Uh, well, yes. Good afternoon. Right. We're in morning. You're in afternoon, right? You're like 4 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. It's 4, four o'clock here. Okay. Well, I'm glad. Sometimes I have uh, guests, they're like in the morning, morning, like even earlier than I am. Like they're on the West Coast and it's like 830 <laughs> in the morning and they're like a little groggy. They didn't have their coffee yeah. yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But I think okay. you should be warmed up by now if it's four o'clock over there, right? <laughs> well, in theory. In theory? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, let's start off with you because... Um, we talked earlier before the show started, and you didn't start mm-hmm. off as a writer. You were you were a writer of poetry. So let's That's start. Right. Why, why did you become a poet? Let's start with that first of all. Not a doctor or you know a scientist or a teacher or something. Why poetry? Well, Lisa, I, I don't think I became a poet. I think I it was my probably my father that uh, identified me as a poet. I actually studied law at university, mm-hmm. so. Uh, but all through school, I would kind of just uh, scribble and scrabble and do all sorts of things. And um, at the time, I actually discovered that poetry was a, a, an easy way to get an A, because <laughs> no teacher was, <laughs> was going to score you poorly for bad poetry because you're expressing yourself. So um, I, I kind of developed a love for books and for poetry very early on, but it wasn't until I was actually in New York that... I kind of recognized the kind of poetry that I did, which was sort of close to spoken word, when a friend took me to the New Eaton Poets Cafe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was doing an internship in New York for a year after university. 
and I just fell in love with that world. And so I, I began doing spoken word or trying to do spoken word. I and mean, it's a very intimidating stage to begin on and watching all these people do their thing and coming back to London. So um, I started out as a poet, um, and then at the time I'd met a few musicians who were asking me to put sort of poetry to music, and um, I was equal parts comfortable and also a little bit uh, scary once you become aware of people listening to you. There's, very, there's something very, very scary about an open mic, and yes. there, there's a moment when you're just aware of the silence, and then all you can hear is your own, uh, the sound of your own voice reverberating and everything else. And I think in those sort of ways, I started to creep towards the page more than um, performing. And I had had an, uh, a, a conversation at the time with Diren Adebayo, who's another Nigerian author, and his brother ran um, Express Books, which was, I think, one of the first black presses in London at the time. And we'd had an awkward conversation about poets versus um, prose writers. And he had said that all poets were lazy. Ah, and, you know, she's going to write a book and all this stuff. And I was, you know, so I was very much on the side of the poets and how it's all about the possibility of language and how can you say that. And there's so many things you can do in a poem and in front of the book. And, you know, that I would never, ever write a book. And, you know, I was very vehement about that. And then cut to a few months later, I started writing The Belief. So that's <laughs> what happened. What had happened was, you know, that, that's what happened. I started yeah. writing this book. And at the time, I, when I initially kind of conceptualized it, I wanted to uh, actually write a poetry collection and write this, you know, write a few poems from the point of view of Jericho, um, the lead female character, and also write from Babylon's point of view. And I kind of wanted to... Um, you know, if I was writing a collection of poetry, weave these stories in and see if anyone realized that, you know, these were actually connected. Right, so right. In some ways, and so I had a, a few poems that never made the book and other things that I was kind of stitching together, but actually more organically the prose came that wove itself around this place, this, this village of Manobi. And in some ways, then the poetry became the music for the film of the prose, if that makes mm. any sense. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you say music because there's a lot of music in the book and the power yeah. of music uh, and one of the exactly. main characters, uh, Babylon, um, it mm-hmm. uses it to entice. And uh, let's uh, talk about these names of the characters, you know, Babylon, Jericho, these are biblical places, um, you know, some have good um, and some have bad. Exactly. Babylon is like, you know, supposedly the de- you know evil place. Um, and in his character, you know, talk to the audience a little bit about his character and how you developed him. Well, I think a lot of authors say these kind of things about people just appearing, and, you know, and they really do. These characters really do appear in your mind in some way. You just get this clear sense of someone. And they, from my character in particular, they, they come pretty much fully formed. So in the back of my mind, I just had these people creeping around, you know, and then they kind of announced themselves. And I wanted to, there, there are many layers on which this book can be read, and there are lots of kind of trap doors and hidden references, and, you know, and you can either just read it on the most menu level and take everything at face value, and you will still have a, a nice experience, or you could look at the kind of little underbelly of people's names and the disbelief that you alluded to that everybody has to take something. And so we have a larger-than-life character that is has kind of found himself adopted by this village, but is still very bored by life. 
is a gifted musician but isn't really doing that much with it. He's kind of just, you know, felt his way through life. And is literally on the verge of kind of leaving because he's a little bit bored with everything. And this girl appears that kind of is a breath of fresh air for him. And her arrival also culminates with him um, beginning to lose his musical gift. And it's yeah. only at that point he begins to, you know, he gets the awareness of how actually how valuable that gift was to him and how, you know, closely attached that is, you know, to his sense of self. And so he, he's taken on this journey, and, you know, in the, same, in the same time trying to win the hand of uh, the first woman that seems a little bit ambivalent towards him in his status. So I think I, I wanted to create this place that was, a beautiful place, but like any any other place, it has its good bits and its bad bits, and it has its good people and its less good people. <laughs> and just to say that you know that everybody is flawed and everybody is still just trying to navigate this thing called life. And I I wanted to also create some complex characters of color in, in a way that we don't really see them, you know. And yeah, I think that that's the important key for the you know characters, strong characters of color that you know. Yeah, people of color, you know, in the African diaspora around the globe, they have feelings, they have wants, they have desires, you know, they, they wake up in the morning looking for, for looking for inspiration, looking for love, um, exactly. trying to do their best. Um, there's jealousy, yeah. you know, in there. Um, you know, some of the yeah. interesting things, uh, the, the, the other character, Allegory, um, yeah, and, and, and again, the names of the name, the name, you know, he's a poet. You're a poet. Yeah. He's almost um, a character you've seen in many other stories. Um, yeah. You know, I feel like he's like whisper coming in and out, and the fact that he's thin, you know, he's like just waste wasting in and then leaving out of scenes. Exactly. And yeah. you know, I don't know if that was your purpose in the way you described him. Could you t- talk about that a little bit? Well, again, it's. <sighs> It's almost like a, in a very formic sense, I think once you create this community and you you kind of start off with these characters, as as much as, you know, Jericho and Babylon could be classed as the younger characters, then equally in this kind of idol, you also have the the older elderly forces. Like we have the twins, Melly and Mabel, and then we also needed something to balance them, which was this um, kind of mystical creature allegory who is equal part madman and, you know, sort of savant or clairvoyant or pastor, you know, he's everybody's truth, but also everybody's madness. So I kind of wanted to have almost like a, a witness to everything, but there isn't the most credible witness. Right, right. And that's who Allegory kind of is. He's just sort of, he, again, he's a man that's incredibly flawed, but is also just an interesting character to that are often overlooked by people in society because you just think someone that looks like him couldn't possibly have any life experience or any wisdom, and yet he's actually probably steeped with the most wisdom in that, you know, of all the characters you, you meet in and the And he's book. living on the fringes, you know, you have him living on the fringe. He doesn't want to yeah. come into the city. He likes bathing in the, the, the waters, and right. he doesn't want to, you know, go into the bath and all these things. So, so he's yeah. on the fringe. And then he's 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 old, but then there are moments in the story where you're like, is he young? And then I was like, you know, it was kind of interesting. Again, it goes back to him being this almost a spiritualness about him, if you will, um, and, yeah, and is right. he real? Like, you know, if one day everybody woke up and no longer was allegory, I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> you know what I mean? Seriously, I mean exactly, like, exactly. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know. But even, so the other thing, mm, sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. But I was going to say, even when you say, is he older, is he young? I think that's very interesting because I think even a lot of the, the older characters, kind of as they go through their own personal journey, they do things that you would expect a kind of younger person to do in some ways. Like if you think about Mabel and Melly and their kind of interaction, it's kind of, you know, a very young or historic competitiveness because they are twins. And I think that's the thing. You're only as, as, as old as you feel or as young as you feel. Mm-hmm. And so there are moments where, you know, they may have the physical years on this planet, but everybody is still pretty much, you know, by the time you sort of hit your mid-twenties as a human being yourself, you almost feel the same as long as, you know, the, the counter is ticking. Right. You know, I'm approaching the 40s now, but I still feel like this is the same way I felt when I kind of hit 21. Mm-hmm. But when you were younger, you probably thought your age now was like old, you know what I mean? Like, you think oh, when you when yeah. <laughs> You know, when you're like 10 or something, you're 10 or 15, you're like, oh, my God, you know, I'm about to be 40. Like, oh, that's, woof, those people, they don't, you know, life has passed for them or something. You know what I mean? And, well, and now you, the world is going to end in 15 days when I turn 40. It shall end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's true. Yeah. Let's talk about the title of the book, Bitter Leaf. Can you expound mm-hmm. on that to the audience? And there's a lot of meaning for each character with that title, you know, and yeah, this is the thing. It wasn't uh, literally for a very, very long period of time. It had this challenge, and my father was still called it for the North Things to Come, which was its um, um, working title for a very long period of time. And actually, when I originally wrote it, there were less... Um, <laughs> There were less descriptions leaning towards Africa, put it that way. I actually wanted to create somewhere that no one would feel alienated by. And, um, you know, I saw, which was why there was such a rich tapestry and such a, a merging of different cultures and different languages fused together. Um, I didn't want someone to automatically pick it up and say, okay, that's, you know, mm. that's Ghana. Oh, that has to be Nigeria. That has to be, it didn't have to be anyway. I wanted people to kind of come to it with a complete different mind and kind of just see themselves somewhere exotic. They knew it was a foreign location, but they couldn't actually pin it anyway because it doesn't really matter where it was written. And, but then you don't sort of publish in isolation and there's more people came towards it and, you know, you get a, an agent and marketing people and publishers and stuff. And there was this kind of concern that for some reason that you can't link an African author and a Nigerian author with my name to something that didn't have a fixed place in the world. And so I said, okay, fine. Well, if it's going to, if it's got to be Africa, then while I'm not going to stick a particular Nigerian badge on that solely, I am going to infuse some more Nigerian life into it and bring, you know, more of my culture into that. Right. And in some ways, it did breathe a little bit of life into some of the characters, being able to kind of really um, tap into some of my own memories. You know, I, I didn't really want to, and this is a thing where you write a book and everyone says, well, who's that? Who's that based on? Like that, and did that happen to you? I was deliberately trying to stay away from that. But I did actually enjoy sort of bringing in some of the riches of my memories and stuff and infusing it in the book. And that's where the name Bitterleaf popped up. And obviously, um, in Nigeria and for Ebos and stuff, Bitterleaf is just my favorite soup. It's um, one of those things that I imagine to other people may look quite strange or whatever it is. But um, there, but there's, it's actually just very delicious and very beautiful. And it's mm-hmm. one of those things where approaching something and looking at something in a different way. And I think the title itself evokes, you know, it's a strange thing. It's, it's a bit bittersweet. It's, what does it mean? The actual title, but I think 
you know, you described it quite well when you said actually everybody has to take a bit of leaf. There is just something, it's about life. It's that it's equal parts bitter and equal parts sweet. And, you know, depending on how you look at it. Right, and, exactly. Yeah. Every character. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah. A, um, that's what's connecting them. And, and, go, and going back to your idea of um, not trying to give it a specific place, I think that was mm-hmm. good. I mean, to me, I think that came across because I felt like at first, you know, again, I saw your name, so I'm like, okay, she's Nigerian. Then I'm like, um, well, where is it being going to be? And then I saw the names you were using. And then you had yeah. some Spanish references. And then I said, well, exactly. is this, then I was like, is this Portuguese? And then I was like, oh, she's trying to put us in. No, because there's a Portugal uh, colonized uh, uh, yeah, African exactly. country. Uh, uh, then yeah. I said, um, you know, maybe she's trying to make the connection between Brazil and Africa and then, so so I think for me, you got that across. Yeah. That you were trying to make it any place. It could be anywhere. I, um, it was really, it was really important to make it any place. You know, I was really um, for me, it's very interesting when you know I've had some of my friends who've taken it on holiday, for example, and there was a, a friend of mine, an English friend of mine, and she took it on holiday when she was in India, and she said, you know, actually, tell me to me that was Indian because mm. she has no direct correlation or connection to any of these names or anything that been down to Nigeria or Africa. So for her, the, the smells and the taste and everything else, she could have completely transplanted to India. And so that, that's kind of the point. I just want you to travel with the book, but you don't have to find the place on the globe. You, you know, you will just find people who may not look like you, but they go to the exact same things that you do over here. Definitely. And that's well, what I was trying to convey. I think also you described the different um, environmental, um, you know, how the wind was, the water, the dust. On, I mean, I could feel the dust on me. And then when one of the characters would leave and go to a different place, there was another. There was this city place. You know, yeah. it could have been any yeah. city. And they had a lot of uh, enticements, if you will, as, as we exactly. always think of the city as opposed to the rural, if you will. The city yeah. has these enticements, you know, either people are enticing or the drinks or, you know, just all these different exactly. sights and smells that are different. Um, and yet mm-hmm. um, you, you, you made the character come back home. Jericho, she, she yeah. one of the characters left. You made her come back home. And um, one of the things that really was nice is um, before she got home, it wasn't like she just got home. You made it very subtle, like she's walking toward home and then she starts seeing the dust and she starts smelling the smells and she starts yeah. hearing, you know, the different uh, sounds and things like that because that's how it comes upon you. When you're coming home from a long trip, you know, you're just yeah. on this, you know, highway, if you will, and then all of a yeah. sudden you start seeing the signs and you start seeing, you know, familiar restaurants. Way, way, exactly. Way, way, way before anybody else. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly, yeah, you know? Yeah. So um, I think you did that very successfully. Uh, let's talk about actually the environment a little bit. You do have some environmental uh, issues happening mm-hmm. in the book. Um, some displacement issues. Uh, uh, you want to talk to the audience about that a little bit, the forest and what's happening there? Well, this is the thing. And again, it's interesting enough, you know, you talk about that allegory who sits on the fringes and is a bit, you know, disconnected from the villages and life in general, but yet he's the most keenly aware of what's going on and the changing landscape. And we see these inhabitants coming to these, they're kind of living at a time. And again, an interesting, another interesting aspect of this book is that there isn't really any direct reference to time. There isn't, uh, it's 1942. I tried to create a space that could have been, you know, now or 40 years ago or 100 years ago. There isn't really anything that dates it like a Nike or a Coca-Cola. 
But we see that there's no issues happening. We see that sort of city living in city ways are gradually encroaching on this little idol that is losing its forest, uh, um, you know, due to the encroaching commercialization. And so I just kind of wanted to... It's almost, again, it's another layer on top of what's actually going on with these people that are sort of navigating their daily lives. There's a big change coming. There's big changes coming from most of the characters of Jericho to kind of cleave out a life in her hometown that now seems suddenly too small for her. Now that she seems to be, you know, Babylon that's facing losing his musical gift and where does he now sit in society without doing anything? And, you know, and the actual tapestry of their village is changing. The older people who are seeing the place that they've grown up in starting to shift and, and they're seeing their importance diminished and their power diminished, I kind of wanted to have also a bigger story on top of the kind of, you know, personal squabbles of each character. Yeah, the macro story. And I think it, um, a lot yeah. of people can relate to that. Not related that maybe they weren't displaced, but in terms of being displaced and seeing displacement around, even in an urban area in a city, you know, in terms of yeah. in, you know, in America, in Philadelphia or New York, and you know, um, you know, people come and the, the large companies they come, or if we will say, you know, white corporations come and buy up a whole block and then renovate it, and then all the taxes are, you know, um, are yeah. higher, and then the people, yeah. the black people or Latino people, they have to move because they can't. The, the taxes, you know, um, and then in terms of, you know, in Africa or more rural areas and even in America with farming, yeah. you know, people's yeah. farmlands are taken away or spoiled, you know, like spoiled because of companies, uh, you know, drain off from chemicals or, you know, the, and they can't get work. And, you know, if we look at Mexico and how corporations went there, and know, so now Mexicans are coming up to America. That's why Mexicans are coming up to America is because they can't get work in their own but this, areas. And that's the thing, and we see that, you know, the, the characters in the book, they all kind of react differently to this, this new change. You know, there are some people that feel that it's a promise of better times, and there are others that are very, very concerned about it. And, you know, and we see Babylon's whole trajectory where he then becomes, you know, an, at the end of the book, I don't, I don't know how much I'm supposed to give away or not give away, but we yeah, I don't want to give know. away everything. I want them to yeah. have to read it, you know? <laughs> Then you see the arcs that people go through and you see how, you know, how these real issues touch their lives and, and, and you know, and make them inspired to do something about it, the, the real issues that they're facing. Yes. I think also one of the things that comes up in the book is having to give up something to get something. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have to give up something to get something. And at first it doesn't seem like, of course, all of us don't want yeah. to give up something that we had wanted in the first place that was either taken yeah. from us or, or exactly. we had to let go of. We, don't, we didn't want to do that, you know, whether it's the love, you know, you have the love stories, you know, family relationships, yeah. friendships, uh-huh. um, you yeah. know, your house, your job, oh, yeah, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's yeah. scary. You know, you're scared to give up this thing that's familiar, that's comfortable, that that was loving and like why you know and some of the characters take it to the extreme you know um almost to the point of death if you will um yeah because they don't want to give up something you know yeah um you know one of the cool things is that uh, we we only have about five minutes left but dreams dreams are throughout the book now you mentioned about jericho coming to babylon um you know him seeing her but she actually came to him in a dream yeah. You know, uh, oh, before she actually saw him. 
I mean, he saw well, her. Did she come to well, he saw her, but he doesn't remember he saw her because he was drunk. Ah, so again, okay. is it a dream? Or really he could either have been dreaming or he could have had too much thing. But mm-hmm. it's the kind of he almost doesn't realize he's seen her because she's just much bigger than he could ever imagine, much more beautiful than he can imagine. That he just right. thinks, just kind of dismisses it that it wasn't really real. Right. And so when he shows up, you know, pages later, he's kind of a little bit blown away again. But he right. had already encountered her. Okay, see, see, and how I took that, you know, it was a dream, but um, I yeah. think that you, um, that it's kind of, like you said, it could be taken either way, you know, was he drunk yeah. or was it a dream? Because you have another exactly. sequence, you know, with, uh, was there Magna, Magna Dean, or Magna, yeah. uh, what's her name? Uh, yes, she um, was, yeah. you know. Thanks, I know exactly drugged. what you're talking about. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So she was she was drugged. She drugged herself, and um, yeah. so much happened. But then, even in reading that, I was like, oh, I almost forgot that she had taken the drug because, again, that seemed some of those were seemed real, you know. And yeah, exactly. if you if you really are immersed into the book, you know, um, yeah, is, you give yourself into it. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. what what are you planning on doing next? You know, this. Um, this, oh, how long well, did it take you to write this book? Let me ask you that real quick. How long did it take you to write this book? Well, it took a long time. It probably took about five years for me. One, because I'm not a, a natural writer. Um, I was learning along the way, and also because I work full-time. Mm-hmm. So kind of in my, you know, early morning hours and lunchtime trying to cobble this book together. So it did take a long time to write something like that. I'm currently working on another, another novel, which is very, very different. It actually takes place between um, New Orleans and Connecticut. Um, about two girls who were in boarding school together, but after about 16 years of separation, their lives have lately changed. So I think after doing something like this, at least you kind of want to, to go to the other end of the spectrum mm-hmm. and try something else, whether it works or it remains to be seen. But that's, yeah, there is so something now, else in the work. So are you at all doing any spoken word or no, you totally dropped that for just doing the books? I really have, yeah, exactly. I, my dad asks me all the time, what happened to your poetry? But um, it, it kind of, that voice seemed to have dimmed when the prose came in. Mm-hmm. Um, on occasion, but I, I, I don't really perform anymore. And with the day job, it's very difficult to get any time. But um, no. no, I'd like to think so, that part. Is your father a writer? Is anybody in your family a writer? My father is a writer. Uh, my father would would tell you he's not a writer, but as I went to Lagos last year for his book launch, he most certainly is a, a writer now. <laughs> so, yes, he, um, <laughs> uh, he oh just launched uh, sort of part memoir, part autobiography. So I don't know who's the apple and who's the tree at this point um, with us. Wow. But, um, it's a very interesting, yeah. Well, maybe your dad's going to have to come on the show. I have to talk to him about his book. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. don't laugh, don't laugh. Well, it was no, we'll make that happen. What'd you say? I said we'll make that happen. So oh, make thank it you. Definitely email me about the book and tell me, you know, like what's the title and everything, and, and then we'll go from there. And I'll 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 read it and and um, come up with some crazy <laughs> questions and make them laugh and feel embarrassed, you know, and so on and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, and then maybe you could, you could co-interview, you know, you could ask some questions. <laughs> you, <wouldn't know> <laughs> you know, that would be so, hilarious. That would be hilarious. I, I can imagine yeah. him being like, what? My daughter said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God.
she would forget. Put <laughs> <laughs> me in my rightful place. Yeah, he'd forget yes. the show going on. Oh, <laughs> my God. Um, this has been wonderful speaking with you, and um, I Thank wish you so much success uh, with this new Thanks. book coming out, you know. And uh, I definitely know about the day job and, and other jobs, and it can mm-hmm. be a little tiresome, but I think that you definitely are talented and you should keep it up and don't uh, – you know, don't don't give up yet. You know, there's so many things Aww. to come. You know, so many so many bitter pills to swallow, but there's going to be some fun. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Thank you so much. I love you talking to you today. Okay, it was nice talking to you. You have a great weekend. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you everybody for tuning in. I just got off the phone with author Choma O. Uh, she's going to kill me again. It's supposed, she told me to say it like carrot cake. <laughs> okay, okay. And um, we're talking about her book, Bitter Leaf. I'm going to be giving away a copy of her book, Bitter Leaf. So uh, definitely follow me at Joy Keys or become a fan on Facebook. Just look up Saturday mornings with Joy Keys or check me out on Instagram. I'm Saturdays with Joy Keys. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend and I'll talk to you next weekend. In 1977, An eight-year-old boy picked up the game of golf from his father. The odds of that same boy winning the U.S. Open twice, one in 1.2 billion. The odds of him having a child diagnosed with autism, one in 110. Ernie Els encourages you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.